Hi, this is Farah Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters, the podcast that arms you with knowledge so you don't become a victim of injustice. So this is part of my podcast series where I'll be interviewing attorneys who focus primarily on the military community. Many, but not all of them, are former military JAGs and have a passion for helping the military community. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking to attorney Davis Jans. Mr. Jans is a military law attorney with over 19 years of experience. He's a former active duty JAG who served as the chief of military justice at the Air Force JAG school and as a staff judge advocate at multiple wings. He's currently a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. Davis now focuses legal practice on military law, including court-martial defense, adverse actions, and military records corrections. So today, Davis will discuss his work on behalf of military members who have refused to be vaccinated under Department of Defense vaccine mandates. He will discuss the military religious accommodation review process and the recent case law related to vaccine mandates that have challenged the COVID-19 mandates, which service members believe are illegal under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 and the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. I'm so excited to be speaking to Davis today, and I know you will learn a lot about what's happening with these vaccine mandates in the armed forces and learn about the relevant law. I had to brush up about on my constitutional law and applicable statutes when preparing for this interview, and it brought back great memories from law school. I know you will love this conversation with Attorney Davis Jans coming up soon. Hi, Davis. Uh, Davis Jans, so good to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, great to talk to you again as well. Yeah, I'm delighted to have uh, this interview today. It's going to be a really good one. So, um, so Davis, I'm sure some of our listeners, probably most of them are familiar with the fact that some military members have refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And um, they may know, you know, that they basically declined it for various reasons. But I think it would be helpful based on your, the fact that you represent some of these military members, if you could help educate the audience um, regarding how the Constitution applies to all of this. I mean, I, I beefed up on the Constitution back to my law school days, read the cases you sent me. It was really fascinating. So please tell us about what are the constitutional rights of military members as it applies to refusing the vaccine? Yeah, I think it's a, a really exciting um, issue to talk about. And just, just not for attorneys, I think it impacts so much of, of the way we think about critical rights. You know, the First Amendment has those rights we all hold dear when it comes to speech and uh, exercise of religion. So one of the critical things that you and I know, based on our own military service and representing military members, is that the Constitution still applies um, to military members. You don't give up your constitutional rights simply because you're serving in the military. And so that's one of the, the key uh, aspects of this that's at issue is what are the religious uh, freedom of religion, free exercise rights for military members and how that interacts with issues like uh, what the military would call uh, a readiness requirement of a vaccine. So uh, the key issue here is, is the military under their constitutional rights, as well as an act and under uh, military regulations um, recognizes uh, military members rights to exercise their religion and has what we've called for a long time, a religious accommodation process. Meaning if you have a particular um, religious background and it impacts um, in some way your military service or some other aspect of military service as a military member, you have a right to ask for an exception or an accommodation. So a very common one would be um, uh, types of headwear, for example, um, 
those uh, that are of uh, uh, Jewish faith wearing a yarmulke um, under part of their uniform or in certain situations. Um, that's been a very common uh, religious accommodation that's been discussed in the military for years. Okay, so what? So first, can you break it down? I don't know if we're going to discuss this later, but which um, constitutional amendment? And then you were talking about the um, the different statute. Do you want to discuss that now or later? Oh, we can. Yeah, we can talk about that. So we really are talking about a a First Amendment uh, free exercise of religion um, question when we're dealing, in particular, with the vaccine mandates now, because what we're talking about is. Uh, military members' rights to make decisions informed by their religious faith uh, with regard to medical treatment in the form, in this case, in the form of a vaccine. So that's that's really what's there. What impacts this as well is a statute that was passed in the 90s called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And, and what that does is it codified or made statutory how the federal government is supposed to look at freedom of religion. So what uh, Congress said and was uh, signed off by the president under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was that if the government is doing something to a government employee or through a law, statute, and instruction that's impacting someone's core religious beliefs, um, they cannot do that unless they show there's a compelling government interest to do it and there's not a less restrictive means available. Right. So that that sounds like some technical legal terms, but it's really important to think of it under a, like we would under a strict scrutiny standard where we say, OK, does someone have a sincerely held religious belief if they do? And the action that the government is asking them to take would violate a, a critical tenet of their religious belief. Then the government's not allowed to do that under the law unless the government shows essentially it's a necessity, an absolute necessity. And there isn't a less restrictive means to do it. So that's kind of the, the big picture, the legal framework where we enter into this discussion of uh, vaccination for military members. Okay, that's that really makes it very clear. So in this case, the government is basically arguing that they have a compelling government mental interest. And, I, and you'll talk about that later, too, when you talk about these cases. So what, why do some military members object to this vaccine for, for religious re- reasons, for example? Yeah, so there are, um, my clients fall generally into sort of three categories and some of them overlap. Um, the majority of my clients have an objection to the use of fetal cells in the testing and development of mRNA vaccines. So it is, it is not uh, outside of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, because you have three vaccines primarily in the United States. Johnson & Johnson vaccine has more um, fetal cell tissue involved and potentially some level of fetal cell tissue in the vaccine itself. Um, the other two primary ones, the, the Pfizer um, and the Moderna, used uh, fetal cell tissues in the testing and development of the mRNA technology and the vaccines themselves. So there's a lot of um, people of faith um, that are opposed to the use of um, fetal cell tissue that's derived from an aborted fetus in medical treatment and testing. Um, and frankly, um, a lot of people were not as aware of that issue until it became very, very public um, in this whole COVID pandemic. A whole lot of things about virology and medical treatment, all of that were probably never uh, that 
um, at the forefront of our minds until now. But that's a big issue. So there is a tie to um, fetal uh, cell tissue testing um, and development that, that's part of this. So that's one area. Another area um, that, that many of my clients are concerned about is um, the mRNA vaccine technology itself being untested. So I have some clients that um, believe based on their religious faith that they shouldn't take an experimental, they still view this as experimental, regardless of whether it's FDA approved or not, because it's so new, they view it as experimental. They've done the research and they believe if they're convicted um, by God and by the Holy Spirit, um, that this is, is not healthy for them to take, they shouldn't take it. So that, that would be another category. And then there's a third um, that believe that this is an overreach, that this is government overreach in mandating uh, a vaccination. And so they feel their faith demands that they, they take a stand. Um, they believe it's um, even constitutionally an overreach to mandate it in this way, whether it's in the military or outside. And so those would be sort of the three broad categories. And again, some of my clients fall into two of those categories or all three. And I, and I, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but your client, the clients you represent um, who are asking for these exemptions, I mean, they all want to serve the military and they want to continue to serve, which is why they're asking for these exemptions. Otherwise they would just say, okay, I'll, I'll just get out. Right. I mean, I'm sure they have a really sincere desire to serve the military, serve in the military, serve their country. And then they're at this, portion of, wow, now there's this, there's something might prevent me from continuing to serve. Um, what is your, I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So for, for me, getting involved in this, uh, in these cases publicly began with a group of about 30 Navy SEALs. So if you know anything about Navy SEALs and just the training that they go through to even um, have a shot at becoming a Navy SEAL is, is so extreme. It's really the toughest thing. Um, tougher than most of us could imagine. And so these are the best of the best. These are um, folks that have dedicated every, every part of themselves to military service and sacrificed a ton to even have the opportunity to do it. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a group of individuals that, that wants nothing more than to be able to continue to serve. I also represent um, high level fighter pilots, you know, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps fighter they have trained and um, to get where they are to be, you know, combat ready and qualified that they absolutely uh, desire very, very strongly to continue to serve. So rather than simply, you know, using this as a way to get out of military service, they've gone through um, the difficulty of applying for religious accommodation. And that's not a that's not a simple process for a military member. All of my clients had to be interviewed by a chaplain. Um, and the chaplain had to make a finding that they that their beliefs were sincere, um, that they were reasonable, that they were central to their religious faith. And so that they really were seeking this um, accommodation for religious reasons. Um, and so that's a, that's a critical point in all this, because that's really where this process, even before this this vaccine mandate, the religious accommodation process always starts there. It always starts with an interview with the military chaplain to explore and, and just see, is this truly a, a religious belief? Is this a sincere religious belief? And um, is this decision or this request that a military member is making based on their religious faith? Okay, so David, so, okay, so let's to make it, listeners who are interested in this or, or just wanna learn, 
what is the process? So the first thing, so that's a military member and, and they want to request a religious accommodation. What's the first thing they do? They go to the chaplain or what, what can you go down the process? What are the sure. steps? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing they would do is they would, they would submit a written request to their chain of command um, and their chain of command would either accept that themselves, which they can do and then refer it to the chaplain, or they can say, go start with the chaplain and come back come back with a memo from the chaplain. So commanders really can do it either way, but it starts in work. It's sort of this cooperative process with the chain of command and with the chaplain. Once that's complete, if it has anything to do with um, medical treatment, medical care, things like vaccines, and then after that process, the military member meets with a um, doctor. So a military doctor who has a discussion with them about um the treatment, be it the vaccine or otherwise, educates them on the vaccine, what it is, how it works, um, the benefits of receiving it, and and does that counseling and writing. The m- member has an opportunity to ask questions. After that, in, in the case of these vaccines, after that, there is a package that goes forward to the commander. The commander makes a recommendation to approve or deny the accommodation request. And then for this vaccine in particular, They've set up what they call religious review teams. And so it goes to a team of, of a JAG, so a military, um, public health official, and a chaplain. And then they review all the packages. They make recommendations. And it goes through the process, um, in this case, to very high levels um, for review. And then if it's denied at that point, then there is an appeal process. And how okay. it's supposed to work, right? How it's supposed to work is um, each individual case is supposed to get reviewed to determine um, whether or not the military can can accommodate this religious belief. So the default position for years, up until the point where we get to this mandate, has been that the military should, could, and would approve most religious accommodation requests. So there's a lot of examples A popular one right now is individuals that um, are of a a Norse pagan faith who believe that part of their uh, males that believe part of their religious uh, faith requires them to have facial hair and to grow a beard. There have been multiple military members that have gotten religious accommodations to have a beard, um, which is pretty unique. Um, But that's also happened with those of uh, a Sikh background as well in the U.S. military, that they've been able to have a beard. Um, with some restrictions, but they've been able to do that. Um, we've also seen that in other situations with, you know, dietary restrictions um, and other things. So those those have happened. Um, but the default has always been that the military should find a way to accommodate. And, and we can get into it more and so we're, where we're at in the litigation in these cases. But the, one of the big concerns um, that I have as an attorney is that individual determination really hasn't been happening uh, with these vaccine mandate cases. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. And reading the, the case law that you sent me, the pending cases, it seemed, uh, first of all, I, you might've mentioned this, but none have been approved for the vaccine, correct? No, no, re- at least religious accommodations, none have been approved. So there, there are some that have been approved so far, all of them that we have seen that have been approved have not been, um, for people who were going to stay in. So there have been a few people that have had their uh, exemption approved to allow them to retire or separate from the military. So far to date, there has not been a single documented case where someone 
who desires to stay in. So someone, let's say, has 15 years in and they want to stay in another five um, that, that they've been able to stay in and have it just approved so that they could stay in. There have been oh. a few now. There have been a few now that have been approved, um, but those have all been for people that are, you know, a couple of months away from retirement. Interesting. Okay. I did not know that. So I guess I, I'm assuming these members are going to be then separating or retiring. I mean, no more than within six months or so. That's uh, you correct. Know, it's got it. I mean, I just made That's up that correct. number, but it sounds like a military, a military number, six <laughs> months. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right. So right. Uh, because I was just thinking, going back to under the, the statute, it, they would have to, the government would have to say, how could they approve it saying, well, it's in furtherance of a, a compelling governmental interest and then, uh, apply, you know, approve it for these members, but not for others. But they're saying, well, they're leaving. So that's right. Yeah. It's, okay. That was, that's right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I didn't know that. Cause I was I, in the case law I was reading, it's, you know, they were talking about no case were approved. So, all right. Well that, I guess that makes sense of why they're approving. They're like, all right, we're not going to like deny you retirement or we're not going like, right. to say you can't. Yeah. So. Um, well, and just the se people separating, are, are they getting honorable discharges? I can't remember what the guidance was on that. Right. So that's been, that's been the wild part of, of some of this. It's been just so interesting, you know, and, 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 you know, you, you practice military law for longer than I have, and, and I'm going on two, two decades now, but what's fascinating is at the beginning of this, those that were seeking an exemption to the mandate were told, if you don't get this, you will be court-martialed. Like that was the the threat, in particular from the Navy and the Marine Corps. They were sort of the most threatening in their posture. So military members, a lot of military members were calling me saying, yeah, I'm being threatened that I will be court-martialed. I'll get thrown in the brig. I'll receive a dishonorable discharge um, if I refuse the vaccine. What happened is Congress acted. And so the National Defense Authorization Act, the fund, the bill that funds the military for 2022 uh, Congress acted and said the worst discharge someone can receive solely for refusing the vaccine is a general under honorable conditions discharge. So those that are getting out should be receiving no worse than a general under honorable conditions, and some are receiving an honorable discharge. Now, again, what's the most significant difference between the two? One is the, the GI Bill. You know, you, you lose the, the GI Bill. Um, typically, if you have an honor, uh, general under honorable conditions discharge, if you haven't earned it from previous periods of enlistment, or if you're an officer, you you lose your your GI Bill benefit. And then there's things like veterans preference points for federal jobs, state jobs, county jobs, things like that. Um, but the biggest thing you and I both know is the DD-214s for these military members. When you're getting out, even if you've submitted a religious accommodation request, even if a chaplain has said this is... Uh, this is a sincerely held religious belief, and that's why you're refusing it. When you're kicked out, they're getting a DD-214. They're being kicked out for commission of a serious offense, for failing to obey a lawful order. So they have a reentry code of four, which means you can't serve in the military again. And that DD-214 to a future employer, and a lot of employers want to see your DD-214, um, is going to look very negative for these military members because it's going to say commission of a serious offense. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, yeah. And I, I've done, I don't do that right now currently, but I've done a lot of discharge uh, review board uh, upgrade cases. And I a hundred percent know the impact on these veterans when they have, you know, if it's not an honorable, even a general, but yeah, obviously the GI bill, that's huge too. We're talking over a hundred thousand dollars, but 
what I'm just curious is, I don't know if you, like, I don't even know how would, you would think if they're going to have some type of separation, general versus honorable, it has to be one type. How, how could they distinguish, unless someone had like an Article 15 or something, how could even the services uh, distinguish between some people getting honorable, some people, it just seems very um, subjective at that point. You know, how, how would they determine who gets the honorable versus, general? again, unless there's some misconduct in someone's record, right? That, I mean, that doesn't seem just or equitable. It, it, it doesn't. And it's a little worse than that. And this, oh. is, this is where this is this will this will frustrate you, I think, um, just based on the work that you've done in this area. So uh, the Navy was the first service to put out written guidance and, and what they put in their written guidance. They call it a, a Navy admin. So nav admin. They said, if you have less than six years of military service, so they can just kick you out in a paper case, meaning you don't have very much due process at all. They serve you with a piece of paper that says we want to kick you out. You can respond in writing and that's it. If you have less than six years, you're not entitled to any kind of a board. And so for those folks, the Navy said, hey, the guidance to commanders is all of those folks get a get an honorable discharge. If the only reason they're being kicked out is because they're not getting this vaccine, they get an honorable discharge. OK, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not they're doing it for religious reasons or not, if they just refuse, they just say, no, I don't want to. I don't want to get the vaccine. Um then they get a get an honorable. However, if you're board entitled, so if you have more than six years, the nav admin says in writing, serve commanders, serve them with notice that they could receive a general discharge, recommend a general discharge. But if they waive their board, because over six years, you're entitled to a board. If they waive their board, then they can waive and get an honorable. Wow. So, so if you go to a board, you could get a general. If, I, you, if honest... you dare go to a board, you could get a general, not because of any difference, not because of any additional misconduct or anything else, simply because you exercised your right to a board. We will punish you with the possibility that you might get a general discharge. That really sounds bad, honestly. So that sounds like we're punishing <laughs> you for making us do work. To I mean, that... That does not even pass the common sense rule. I, I don't know how could they justify that because right. it, it looks like, well, if you're going to a board, you're wasting our time, resources. Now we might have members. Just yeah, I, that that makes no sense to me, honestly. Um, wow, I, I opened up a can of worms. <laughs> I, just, I just thought of that while we were talking, but that makes right? no sense. You know, as things sometimes when people are in a rush to do things, they come up with stuff, and then they hopefully they. Cor- correct it as they go along like once you make a rule it doesn't mean you can't change it right like the government right. you know and hopefully right. like the government again like look and we, we have like as you said you know the government doesn't make you waive your constitutional rights by entering the military right so we have rights everyone has rights and hopefully you know there will be some changes to come up with a good solution that accommodates everyone so That's um right. All right. So, uh, wow, that, that was, I'm learning so much today from you, <laughs> Davis, and I'm sure the listeners will too. So tell me, so, well, I guess we kind of got into what the consequences were for military members, right? They, you know, they could be discharged and, That's right. um, well, what options do military members have? I, I guess, you know, we talked about, they request the religious accommodation, but what, so what other options are there? Yeah. So the, the religious accommodation review process, and then if that's denied, they have the right to appeal. Um, if they're board entitled or they're responding to adverse action, if they're responding to uh, an administrative separation board, you, you have the ability to hire an attorney 
have an attorney represent you. You also have military counsel. Military counsel are not involved to get in, are not allowed to get involved in this process until the very end, which is unfortunate. Um, but you certainly have those rights. Um, the other right that you have, and we've seen military members exercises it, is is to file in federal court. And, and one primary mechanism to do that in this case is alleging violations of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So you have federal courts um, that have granted um, at least temporary injunctions for military members because it appears, according to, to three different federal judges, that the military, the DOD, has violated the Religious Freedom Restoration Act because they are just doing blanket denials of these accommodation requests. So, you know, we talked about that this in the beginning. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act requires this strict scrutiny and this analysis and, and what's happened. And uh, one of them's uh, my clients that was involved in getting information from a whistleblower. But we've been able to show, in particular, the Navy's been the worst offender on this, but that the religious accommodation uh, review process was designed <coughs> with only one possible answer, which is no. Um, so the Navy had essentially a 50 step process where, you know, it's supposed to be more like a choose your own adventure book, right? Where the commander could say, hey, I recommend approval of this and it goes through the process. And if everybody approves and it looks like there's a, a less restrictive means that could be done, like like testing, testing, masking, social distancing, um, all of those things we see other workplaces doing now to mitigate COVID. If those could be done in the military, then then you say yes to this person who has this sincere religious belief. What happened on the Navy side is the answer, the forms, everything about the process was already filled out. It's already completed for commanders. And the answer is no. Yeah. So, so it's like a template pretty much where the answer is going to be no, because answer. that's what do you... now, um, do you know, I think in reading the cases, there are the intermediate, the, 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 the immediate commanders. I did read in some of the cases that some of the intermediate, you know, the members commander recommended approval. Like, so it's That's not right. like everyone. So there are people who like, like, I need this guy. You know, can you like all your special forces or Navy SEALs clients? I mean, these people are doing great things for their country. They're going and putting themselves in danger all, all over the place. And those members, the commanders know them and they want them to stay in. So they're saying, yeah, please grant it. Right. So it's not That's all right. the commander saying no. It's, it's just seems like the policy. No. So it's going to be no. And at the end. Yeah, so that I, I don't think the government, you know, the DOD is not denying that, right? I mean, they're pretty much saying, yeah, we're going to deny these. Or, well, maybe they are because there was a process to request it. So you're supposed to go through the through the motions, at least, to look at these things. Um, right. That's that's really the problem and the frustration because and, and the federal judges have 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 used the term theater. Right. So mm -hmm. the way this is being handled by DOD makes it appear as if the entire religious accommodation review process is political theater that that they're doing this process because they have to but they're not they're not really doing the kind of individualized actually looking at it actually looking at what the chaplains recommended actually looking at what the commander has recommended in reviewing this process so what you're getting then is more and more federal courts saying no this is this is an arbitrary and capricious process this is not based on the science, the law, or proper process, and you are clearly violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So it is, it's a fascinating legal issue. It's a fascinating time to be involved in this, um, not just for me personally, because I, my religious faith um, prevents me from taking the vaccine at 19 years of service. So I'm, I'm as engaged or invested in this as, as many of my clients, but it is a fascinating thing to see 
because it's been handled so differently uh, than almost anything else I can think of in, in my military career. So um, part of me is sad to see that, quite frankly, but I'm also um, uh, eager to, to see what happens as this continues to work its way through the federal court system. Yeah. So are there do you want to share anything about the cases, any highlights or anything about the cases? I know, you know, you sent me I spent my weekend reading all those cases. <laughs> I just wonder if there's, you know, not to get into all the details, but anything that you think the listeners should know that you haven't discussed already? Yeah, I think the um, there's there's really two cases that I'm, I'm following most closely that I've been uh, more closely involved with. One is uh, out of Texas. So it's the Fort Worth, Texas area. Um, that's a group of about 35 or 36 Navy SEALs. Uh, the lead attorney in that case uh, for an organization called First Liberty Institute is actually a, a Marine Corps lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps Reserves, um, a guy named Mike Berry, a very smart guy. And so they, they successfully got an injunction for their clients, about 35. Um, the Department of Defense appealed that to the Fifth Circuit uh, Court, that injunction, and the Fifth Circuit Court ruled in favor of military members. So as it stands right now, those military members, those 35 or 36 Navy SEALs, are protected. The Navy cannot um, take any adverse action against them while that case is pending. Um, the other case that I'm watching closely, and at, at some point I'll probably have 10 to 15 clients that are involved in that case, is the Liberty Council case that's out of um, Tampa, Florida area. And that case involves um, uh, Liberty Council is the organization there. They've been working in the religious freedom area for years, but they're trying to get an injunction that applies to all of the Department of Defense, all military members from all branches. So they have tons and tons of plaintiffs. Um, I think in the original complaint, there's about 28. They've gotten an injunction for two uh, military members so far that were facing immediate harm. So being fired from their positions um, as senior leaders getting ready to have things done to their career that would make it impossible for them to recover. Um, and so they've gotten they've gotten that injunction there. So that Liberty Council case out of Florida is one to watch as well. So it's yet to be determined whether or not this will go you know, to the circuits and whether or not the Supreme Court will get involved or if and when the judge in Florida will grant um, an injunction that will apply to all of the DOD. If that happens, then I'll think we'll, I think we'll see a case that will look similar procedurally to the OSHA mandate case where the Supreme Court struck down um, or at least granted an injunction against the enforcement of the OSHA mandate, vaccine mandate. So, okay. so do, you, do you have any idea of the timeline of when there's going to be some finality of, you know, by the time then the government responds, et cetera? I mean, any any idea of when this I, will I, be resolved? I don't know. I think these these temporary injunctions, these emergency in, injunctions are critical um, for my clients, um, because I have clients that are, that have already received letters of reprimand, things like that, that are pending a board. So they could be starting an administrative separation board or a board of inquiry for officers within the next 30 days or so, if relief doesn't come. So hopefully it comes soon. It could be in the next couple of weeks, um, that we get an injunction, an additional injunction, uh, from the, from the Florida case, but, uh, we'll see. Wow. Yeah. And those letters of reprimand, that's, that has a significant, I mean, if, if the person ends up staying in somehow, if they win, then there's going to be, you know, get, getting that removed from their records and their OPRs. And that's, <laughs> oh, that's where, right. that's where we that's come right. in, right? Or attorneys right. who do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Hopefully that's there's some, you know what, hopefully there's just some blanket way where if that does happen, the government, the Department of Defense says, okay, without making these people apply and, and right. clog up our cases more, just redo their 
performance reports and remove right. those, right? Because that would make no sense having them have oh. ever spend two years on correct and then the government having to work on those cases so that's, that's, that's what right. if, if anyone from the government's listening that's if, <laughs> if these members win that's what you should do just do a blanket thing the dod uh they just remove them and and take that out so anyway um save everyone a lot of time so um davis I know you pra- you've talked about the case. You you practice now, obviously, as a civilian military law, and you also do civilian criminal law. How does this fit into your practice area with the rest of your practice? I mean, you're really involved in this right now with what's going on, but how does this uh, fit in with the rest of your practice? You know, I, I think it's been very interesting because, uh, as you know, and we've talked before, my, my primary focus and area, area of expertise is and remains uh, court-martial cases. That's really um, what I enjoy and, and, and what I've been, I've been able to be successful at for my time on active duty and now as a civilian. Um, so I'm, I'm still doing that, but as a civilian, I've done more, you know, discharge review board cases, board of corrections cases, and just military administrative law cases, um, when it's been appropriate, you know, sometimes that's a, a client, especially a senior ranking client that's going through an investigation it doesn't always end in court martial, as you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. it ends in, you know, um, uh, IG complaints or you know, sexual harassment investigations and things like that. So then you can spend a couple of years sometimes trying to fix the record through the Board of Corrections and otherwise. So I've been doing that work. So this, to me, is is a really interesting sort of combination of you know a, a hobby, more of a hobby. I've done some you know constitutional law, religious freedom work um, as an attorney. Um, and certainly did some conscientious objector cases as an attorney on active duty involved in those cases. Um, and then the military administrative law piece of this fits well. And now, you know, my clients, many of them are being treated like criminals because they're refusing this vaccine. So they're receiving letters of reprimands. They're being accused of violating lawful orders. They've been fired from important positions. So it, it really does kind of bring those those areas of practice together in an interesting way. So it's been, to me, uh, it's been incredibly challenging, one of the more challenging things I've ever seen. Um, but uh, it's been been a huge blessing to be able to help out so many people. And we're still right in the middle of this fight. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm really glad that there's attorneys like you out there who are there to help, you know, fight for military members who want to serve their country. You know, wh- whatever your view is on the issue, like whoever's listening, whether you believe it in or not, or it- it's just like there's a constitution and the, and the government, right, has been gracious enough. They carved out exceptions. Military members can sue the government and let the courts figure it out of what well, is there a compelling interest, right? I mean, that's what the statute says, the constitution. So let them figure it out. And, it, you know, it, it, you can't just come out with rules and not face consequences when people object. So I, I'm really, it's an honor to speak with you and, and have you explain everything so clearly. I, I learned a lot, you know, just reading the cases and talking to you. So we'll see, we'll all be following this very closely to see what happens. And hopefully there's a, a solution that, you know, works out in a lot, you know, reading the cases, I honestly, I, I was because I didn't really, I don't know much about the vax. I don't haven't studied the medical port, you know, aspects of it, or you know, the religion. I didn't know any of that stuff. Too. I mean, I actually got the vaccine just because I'm just used to like. Well, I'm not in the military, but I, you know, you're in the military. You always got your vaccines, but I never researched them. So this was really fascinating to even learn the different aspects of, um, you know, what goes into the vaccine. So we'll be following this closely. But Davis, I want to follow up with this last thing and ask you. You know. 
in military, there's military law and life matters. There, there's intertwined as like in these cases, these military law matters are affecting, you know, someone's life, someone who served their country honorably, a special, I keep saying special, uh, you know, Navy SEALs or, or special for anyone serving remotely everywhere, you know, putting their life in danger. And now they're looking at maybe having to be separated after serving 17, 18. I mean, they're not even at, they're almost at retirement and just it really affects it can have a very detrimental effect on life. Is there some life lesson or something you can share with members of uh, whether it applies to this particular issue or other issues, legal issues you handle that might be helpful for members to to listen to from you? You know, I, I think the biggest the biggest thing for, for me as an, as an attorney and just where I'm coming from, from my, my faith perspective is. You know, I, I, I was fascinated by the law and wanted to get into the law um, because of the Constitution, right? Just because of this idea that there are certain legal principles that are foundational to who we are as a nation and who we are as a people, right? And those, those values uh, should apply to everyone. So no matter your background, your socioeconomic status, race, or anything else, those principles um, should apply to everyone. And so you know, carrying that that passion and that thought process on taking into the military. You know, I 9-11 happened when I was in law school. I, I've loved every moment uh, that I've had to be able to serve in the military and deploy and and do all of these things. So I guess my biggest life lesson is, you know, we we can't let crisis or difficult times um, override our respect and our desire for certain foundational principles right? Like constitutional rights, like our respect for the law. And I think in times of crisis um, or where we're afraid and fears driving so many decisions, um, even though those are difficult times, we, we should not forget those things and we shouldn't treat people differently just because they disagree with us on, on an issue. We should instead have respect for the law, have, have respect for those foundational things. And if we can do that, then, you know, we can we can survive these things well as a nation, as a people. Yeah, that's a great way to end it. And yeah, thank God we do live in a country that has a beautiful constitution that, you know, is, is able to provide guidance on all of these issues. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, hopefully this will be resolved actually quicker than, than taking much longer because of all these cases that are pending and people looking at separation. So hopefully there will be a good solution that when we look back, we can say, wow, you know, this was a, a good um, solution. So anyway, Davis, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for taking the time to explain all this to us so clearly. I'm just really much more educated, um, you know, talking to you and uh, I really appreciate it. So um, I look forward to maybe when this is all over, we'll have another one and you'll talk about the results of whenever <laughs> that happens to be and we can update everyone on that. So that um, sounds great. That sounds yeah. great. Okay, Davis. Well, thank you so much and uh, we'll catch up soon. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed my conversation with Davis Jans. I certainly learned so much reading up on the constitution and all the case law that he sent me. It was so interesting to learn about the stories of these military members who are requesting an exemption um, under the religious uh, accommodation. Uh, basically, they're refusing the, the mandatory vaccine in the Department of Defense. 
And it's so good to know there's attorneys out there like Davis Yance who are willing to to fight to protect the rights of these military members. And you know, regardless of where you stand on this issue, whether you agree with with it or not, you know, the main thing also is to remember that we live in a country where if you don't, if you believe your constitutional rights are violated, you got to go to court and sue the government. So we live in a country where we have this constitution that allows us, you know, certain protections. And if they're vi- if you believe they're violated, you can go to court to sue. So, um, you know, there's one thing I know, I know that these military members love their country and sincerely want to not, to serve. And I know the Department of Defense basically believes there's a compelling governmental interest in the vaccine mandates because the government or the Department of Defense's viewpoint is that they have this, um, you know, compelling interest to protect the health and safety of service members. So, you know, the well-being of service members. So that's the government department of defense's view on this. So we'll see what happens. It's interesting. You know, we'll follow along and maybe we'll have Davis back if there's some resolution, when there is a resolution, I certainly hope there's a speedy resolution of this because I do know there's members who have served their country for many, many years. Um, and, you know, maybe they're almost at retirement and they're, they're facing discharge. So one way, I certainly hope there's a speedy resolution of this and people can get on with their lives and, and perhaps there could be some type of compromise that benefits everyone. So, um, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to, to switch to basically is to tell you that, uh, you know, regardless of what type of legal issue you're facing, it's always good to get an expert opinion. You know, you really need to get an opinion by an attorney who understands the matter, the subject matter, because it, a problem is not going to go away if you ignore it. You know, you need to confront the problem head on and, you know, seek an attorney. You know, there's lots of attorneys out there. Look for someone who has expertise in the area and, you know, confront your problem because you'll have some closure. I mean, I say, I'm saying this after every one of these attorney um, podcasts, attorney interview podcasts, because I think it's so important that you deal with your problems and not just think it's going to go away one day. Um, ignoring it does not make it go away. And um, I'd really love if you can share this podcast, um, go to iTunes and give it a five-star review if you can. I always say five-star. I want the highest rating if possible. Um, you can write a little review if you'd like. Um, that would be great too. And please share it. Most importantly, please share it with people. Let people know about it so they can learn some interesting things. They can learn things that can protect their, their rights that they may not be aware of. That's the most important thing. I want to make sure people in the military community, even civilian community, but you know, specifically the military community, know their rights, military members, their families. And, you know, it's, it's really good to be educated and arm yourself with knowledge. Um, so you don't, as I say, become a victim of injustice. And last but not least, as I always say, remember, don't ever, ever give up because there is always hope. I look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.